Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always great to have you with us alongside Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, we're going to check in with a friend of the show and ESPN bracket expert, Joe Lenardi. He's coming up in just a little bit. Uh, we're going to hit on a couple teams in Blue Ribbon's top 10 and just kind of get you ready for the season with practice getting underway. Chris, uh, you know, a little cooler weather and I know teams are hitting the court, so it feels like uh, basketball is not too far down the road now, just over a month from getting the season started. I'm really pumped. Uh, and by the way, the cooler weather, uh, when I was a kid, I loved summer. When I when you start to hear the cicadas, I always hated it because that meant summer was over and school was about to start. <laughs> when I hear those cicadas now, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> now, Summers are just so brutal, man. Yeah, now school starts around the, the 1st of August these days, or at least around where we live. Uh, yeah. it, it feels completely different because I'm like you. You know, school used to start – mid to late August or even when yeah, I was when September, I was really young even. sometimes around uh, maybe Labor Day but yeah it's a little little different story now uh the of course 42nd edition of the Blue Ribbon Yearbook is out it's the 25th edited by my buddy here Chris and uh, I guess give us the update how sales going I know shipping and getting printed and all those things that have been a challenge the digital version of the yearbook is out I've already perused a whole lot of it but uh, just a quick update on what's going on well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, uh, print, printing is, is a hassle, uh, I think, industry-wide this year. There's paper shortages, uh, labor shortages, and stuff like that. So we're going to get through it like we've gotten through everything else, including COVID. But I am proud to report, as you said, that the things that we can control, we, we're not worried about. And one of those was getting the digital edition out. It, it's dropped more than two weeks ago and it's selling at record numbers well, we're pleased to have a lot of first-time buyers and and uh word of mouth spreads and there was one publication that did not print this year i, I believe paper was an issue there and you know it's uh, we're happy to provide a a substitute for the people who are missing their preview guides i know that when i was a kid if you had told me that street and smith was not coming out You'd have had to pull me off of a bridge or something because <laughs> I I live for that thing yeah. and uh, and now similarly uh, and I talk to people every day I purposely have the office phone uh, bump into my home office phone so I can talk to our customers and it's really cool to talk to people that are in their seventies some of them even eighties that have all forty one previous editions of the book and. Uh, you know, or people that have been with us 30, 35 years, and everybody just so looks forward to the book. And I was talking to a judge uh, in New York, a friend of mine, yesterday, and I was telling him a little bit about, I'm so worried about the printing business and stuff like that. And he quoted Mickey Rivers, uh, the, the former New York uh, Yankee, who was known for some malapropisms, but he said something to the effect like, you know, don't worry about it. If you if you can't control it, don't worry about it. If you can't control it, then you can worry about it. But, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, there's that's just all part of it. I, I think that, uh, you know, people do love this book so much. And, and the crazy thing is it's ingrained itself into the college basketball ecosystem. I had a, a coach from Notre Dame yesterday call me and uh, – wanting to know how to print the, uh, 
the uh, digital edition and we lock that we don't allow printing because one year some guy tried to bootleg it oh did goodness. bootleg and sold blue ribbon so i gave you know i said i respect mike bray here's the code you know uh, go ahead and print it <laughs> and uh but uh, no he was my second coach of the day then a coach from illinois state who's a friend of mine called and asked about that so um you know it's part of that their jobs it's part of scouts uh jobs you know fans can't wait to get their hands on it and even the ncaa selection committee so we're glad that blue ribbon has ascended to be uh, uh so important so you know if any uh, bootleg copies get out there on the open market you, you know where to follow the paper trail here uh you, you'll, you'll be able to <laughs> right. sol- solve it pretty fast that, that's really yeah, funny exactly the notre dame <laughs> coach told me he wouldn't say anything <laughs> no i trust those guys uh mike bray does it by the book and uh you know they've done a good job they I don't know. They had two or three kind of lean years in a row, but I yeah. think they got back onto it last year, and I think they'll stay there. Yeah, Mickey Rivers uh, played on the uh, New York Yankees 1976 World Series runner-up team, uh, if, if I remember yeah. correctly. Uh, this judge friend of mine, man, he knows some folks. And he's yeah, a, I bet. He's a, a huge Blue Ribbon fan. He's got a personal library of books, 10,000 strong in his New York apartment. So the guy knows knows from books. Well, let's talk about the uh, top 10. I'll I'll give you the teams real fast, and then we're going to spotlight a couple of those teams. North Carolina, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Houston, and Duke, the top five, and Blue Ribbon's preseason top 25. And then Arkansas, Kansas, UCLA, Baylor, and Tennessee. Let's spotlight Houston and Arkansas. Houston at number four is really interesting. 32-6 and last season. They made the Elite Eight. They did lose four starters. They're always strong up front and on the boards under Kelvin Sampson. You know that. They had the senior Marcus Sasser. He's back from a foot injury. He's a first-team Blue Ribbon All-American. And Sampson and staff, you know, they're always good at getting guys who fit rather than just the ones who are the most highly recruited. And that's something he talks about in the in the uh, preview that uh, is in Blue Ribbon. Yeah, Kevin, that's a good point. I, I think that Houston uh, proudly uh, has assumed a sort of a lunch pail kind of persona if you will and if you look at their stats their effort stats defense uh is an effort stat offensive rebounding is an effort stat and that indicates that players are being coached uh and and i think that's how they've they've hung their hat and coach sampson's really got it going on you know he had his troubles for a while he rehabilitated his career in the nba and now if you just look at his staff, it's similar to what Coach K had at Duke. Every every assistant, Kellen Sampson, which is his son, and, and I believe the coach in waiting, Qantas White, Hollis Price, they all played for, mm-hmm. for Coach at Oklahoma, and they all know what he wants, and they all know what he looks for. And I think they've, they've got, again, several of those kind of blue-collar, lunch-pail guys, and they've got some excellent guard play. Last year, Jamal Shedd really – didn't have a choice but to perform after Marcus Sasser went down and he had a heck of a year, uh, had a ton of assists and shot the ball, you know, not great from three, but he made some timely threes. He's just a super competitor. And now Marcus Sasser is back to, um, he was our, one of our blue ribbon first team, all Americans. And they're also starting to get, you know, they don't look for five-star guys. Uh, I mean, They'll take them if they can get them, and they got yeah. one in Jerace Walker, six eight kid from from Florida. Uh, so uh, he played at uh, uh, IMG Academy last year, and 
he's a guy that 6'8", 235, kind of a new age forward. So, you know, last last two years, uh, Elite Eight, year before that, Final Four, uh, it's safe to say they've got it going on. It feels like this is almost like a, a Southwest Conference preview from from the old days. Let's talk about Arkansas now. When, when do they take that next step and finally give out, get back to the Final Four? 28-9 last year, Elite Eight, they beat top seed Gonzaga. They've won 53 games over the last two seasons and 73 over the last three years, if you count kind of the uh, the the strange season that was uh, before that. Uh, they returned Devo Davis and Kamani Johnson. They have 11 new players, though, and Eric Musselman used a whole bunch of different lineups during their trip to Spain and Italy over the summer. I guess the question I have, uh, is Nick Smith that good, uh, the, the highly touted freshman? And uh, Trayvon Brazil transferred from Missouri. How impactful can he be? I think Nick Smith is that good. Uh, he's 6'5", a legitimate uh, one-point uh, guard. He can play that position, but so can Anthony Black, another freshman. He's 6'7", and has really impressed. Uh, I was uh, reading the text of a Eric Musselman press conference from yesterday, and he really singled out Black and another freshman who was really, I say, only a three-star, Barry Dunning Jr. He was the player of the year in Alabama, and he's really worked hard. But I was just watching tape of Brazil before uh, we went on, and that dude is impactful. Um, He is long. He's quick to the ball. He's a great offensive rebounder. He's a, a scary shot blocker he he runs the floor well he can put it on the floor he shoots threes i think he's going to be super impactful it's it's strange to pick a team that has zero returning starters and only two returning players period as a preseason number six but eric musselman is just a He's done a great job. And sure has. Along with his usual array of transfers, they recruited. They needed size. They recruited it. Uh, another kid named Ricky Council the fourth from from Wichita State, I think, is going to be a huge contributor. And another freshman, Jordan Walsh, six seven. As Musk gets closer and closer to that ideal lineup of his, uh, he'd start all six six guys if he could. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, Brazil is. Brazil is going to be fun to watch. There's there's a highlight tape of him uh, on YouTube. I highly suggest you look at it, uh, especially if you're an Arkansas fan. He's scary. How crazy is it to start a season with no Coach K? Of course, he was on the uh, the cover of Blue Ribbon last season. He even gave you an autographed uh, edition of it. Uh, the Duke coach and friend of the show, John Shire, now takes over at age 35 and says he has to go seek out Mike Krzyzewski if he wants to talk to him. Has not been in his office at the practice facility or really around very much and just kind of wanted to give John Shire some space. Of course, Shire was his assistant, former player, and now he's the uh, head coach. But you know, can Duke get enough from Jeremy Roach and their highly thought of freshman to be successful this year i guess the that's the question for them coming off a final four trip in the last year under coach k yeah i'll tell you what when all else fails if you don't have uh experience it's really nice to have some some players and that's one thing that that john has done really well he's recruited uh unbelievably so i mean at a pace that that has even exceeded when coach cal was at his five-star best Mm mm-hmm and true, Coach K, when he retired, he retired. And he's allowed Coach Shire, who was gracious enough to be on our podcast a few weeks ago, uh, to just kind of be his own man. And he proved that early on when he hired Jay Lucas, 
the former Texas player and assistant off uh, Coach Cal's staff at Kentucky. You know, Coach K had, had, had all Duke guys uh, pl- who played for him on his staff. Uh, John still has two of those, but he, he recruited Jay Lucas. And I think he told us on the podcast that he was pleasantly surprised that Jay was even better uh, of a person and a more aggressive uh, recruiter and a highly opinionated guy than even he thought. So it's going to be interesting. We picked Duke at number five, and I think they're loaded again. It's unbelievable the the talent that, that uh, Coach Shire and his staff have brought in and continue to bring in. Give me the rest of the top 25 real quick, and we're going to have Joe Lenardi, as I mentioned, coming up shortly. Creighton, Indiana, Alabama, Texas, and Auburn. That's uh, 11 through 15. Villanova, TCU, Michigan, Arizona, and Virginia. Uh, that is 16 through 20. And then 21 through 25, you have Texas A&M, Illinois, Dayton, Michigan State, and San Diego State. And you can find all the previews for all these teams in the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. Well, Chris, our guest is the guy we always love having on our show. He's gracious enough to join us a couple times a year. He is ESPN's bracket expert. He invented bracketology, and he is Joe Lenardi. What's going on, man? Good morning, guys. Happy New Year. Happy Here New Year. That, that's exactly right. <laughs> Happy New Hoops Year. Most importantly, just this morning, I received my digital blue ribbon. So <laughs> that means the season has officially begun. Uh, in fairness, this is, the I think, the first time since I left that I didn't pay for it. I, I usually buy one because I just think it's important to support the enterprise. Well, uh, I appreciate that. But Chris offered me one, and, you know, I'm not an idiot. So I <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I felt like I, I, I needed to give you one. You've been gracious enough to come on our show. Uh, I'm going to tell you something that's going to make us both feel old, buddy. Okay. Uh, I, I was writing. Yeah, thanks. I was writing the uh, the letter from the editor, and it occurred to me, how many years has it been since Joe left to pursue bracketology pretty much full time, and and that I have edited the book solo without your help or anybody's help, uh, full time. I look, dude. This is the twenty fifth anniversary. Can you believe That's that? Insane. It's more than 20. I knew that. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, 25th anniversary. But 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 like Kevin said, I was in the room, uh, albeit a car, and I have the receipts to prove that, that Joe invented bracketology, except no substitutes. This is the man who invented it. And along those lines, I wanted to ask you clearly, Changes have been made in, in, in the quarter century or more that you've been doing this. And, and you've, you come out early and, and, and I think do an incredible job of, even in the summer, starting your bracket process. Has the portal disrupted the force a little bit for you because <laughs> uh, how, how difficult it is? I mean, the strangest thing that happened to me I was editing the Memphis story uh, where Penny was singing the praises of Emmanuel Acott, a Boise State transfer. And then I checked on a website and saw that that day he had slipped out of town to Western Kentucky. So I had to go back, pull the stories from my designer, edit Memphis, that he was gone, and edit him into 
the Western Kentucky story. So I wonder if if all that player movement and, and it's later and later into the summer, how does that mess with your mojo? Well, it really cuts into my spring, you know, golf mainly. <laughs> that's a, that's a uh, because, well, it, it probably has no impact numerically. Uh, <laughs> and I could probably prove that, but let's not. And, you know, I'm just going to assume you already had the Boise State right up in the can and, and correct. Yes. When it comes to ACOT, you know, because he was their main man in getting to the tournament last year. And, you know, as is often the case outside the power conferences, it only takes one defection to go from selection Sunday to selection nowhere. Yeah. Uh, for better or worse. But, Specific to your question, Chris, I I think it it just pushes the whole thing back a bit. In that, you know, there's roster movement until the middle of the summer. Yeah, and and there may be a, a trickle or two after that. Uh, you know. Our competitors back in the old days, like Street and Smiths and Lindy's or whomever, who were doing, you know, getting their write-ups in the can in May and June. I don't know how they would do it now. <laughs> It'd be tough. They would be even they would be even more wrong now than they were then. <laughs> not not you know, because they're bad people, just you know, the perils of of publishing, I suppose, and, and the deadlines sure. and all that. But you know, I have developed for the off-season work a little bit of an algorithm, and using that word probably makes it sound like, you know, I'm smarter than I am. But, but you know, like anybody else making preseason predictions, what are you looking? What do they have back, and what did they add? Right, and and in order to make it defensible meaning the off-season brackets, uh, I, I, I tried to assign a value, an offensive and defensive efficiency value, to every team's returning minutes and then their likely replacement minutes, you know, based on their recruits or transfers or portal or the barometric pressure of, you know, Tennessee. So – uh, th that at least gives me a, a hook to hang my hat on as opposed to just throwing darts. Uh, but, but I don't want to say I don't put a lot of stock in the offseason work because, I mean, it has turned out to be, you, you know, typically the bracket that comes out the prior April in the however many years I've been doing that, it gets about – 50% of the one seats. So it's not, you know, a, it's not completely random. Uh, and, and, and certainly the feedback I get from fans in the off season, while not as, you know, frequent as in season, uh, people are paying attention and they'll, you know, they'll be like, well, you moved Indiana from a four to a three. Why? And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, a, what's the answer? And B, why do they care? <laughs> uh, but 
but it's usually because of a, of of a roster shift of of some kind or maybe a shift elsewhere in their league that kind of jumbles the pie a bit. Joe, I wanted to ask you about overseas trips. It feels like more teams maybe than than in any other year I can remember went to Europe or went somewhere and played some games and I'm sure part of that is they weren't able to do it the last couple of seasons with COVID and everything. How much does that play into you getting a feel for what these players can do and how the teams might fit together? Probably more so now because usually you can watch these games. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I'm not going to say I'm up every night of these, you know, the Kentucky foreign tour or even even the ones that make it onto network TV. The others are just streamed. I mean, if it's a coach or a school that, that I have friends connected with I might be more inclined to watch uh, the coaches will tell you of course that it's it's the 10 extra practices in the summer sure that for them is more of a team building team bonding sorted out kind of deal and that the games themselves you know they try not to let the games interrupt their touring because you know look it's it's a recruiting thing to to sell to incoming players you know we go here we go there uh i went to saint joe's or i'm sorry i went to italy with saint joe's back in 99 and i don't remember anything about the games uh but but i certainly remember spending you know 10 days in a country that the entire organizing principle is when do we eat next (laughs) So, you know, I remember that uh, and that was good. Uh, And, and look, you know, for the kids, there can't be a much better way to spend the summer than just getting away. Like, don't we all want to do that Mm -hmm. in the summer somewhere, somehow? So, you know, if donors and boosters and schools will pay for it, all the better, but yeah, I think there's a connection between, you know, many times a team that's done a tour is maybe a little better at the start of the season. Uh, but you're, you're right, Kevin, we haven't had them. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, like Kentucky's going to be really good whether they went to Bermuda or whether they went to Boston, mm-hmm. right? Like. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it's still the Jimmys and the Joes. Joe, uh, we had Matt Norlander on our last podcast, and he and Gary Parrish did a great job with their coaches confidential. And one of the questions they asked, 100 coaches, not all head coaches, should you change the NCAA tournament format in any way? 97 coaches said no. Uh do you suspect, worry, or fear that the powers that be trying to add, you know, another couple hundred million onto the billion they already make might hamper with this great thing that that I know you love as much as anybody and understand as much as anybody? Do you think we need to worry about changes that, that I think are, are the spirit and what makes it great, i.e. Uh, eliminating mid-majors? Yeah, I'm starting to feel a little better about that. Uh, 
and a little more in the camp of uh, expansion, which I think will be the eventual compromise. Because if, if, if I look into my crystal ball, uh, it, it, you try to apply past lessons moving forward, right? I mean, that's what studying history is, essentially. And, you know, it's in our generation, certainly in our sports lifetime, if you will, that the tournament didn't have any at-large bids. Right. That didn't happen until 1975. Uh, it was all the one bid. Yeah. At that time. And, y y you know, every kind of tipping point, if you will, more bids have been added. And, and as more conferences have come in to play, more at large bids have kind of been added alongside of it. So I I think what's most likely is, you know, I don't know if it's 72. I don't know if it's 80. I don't think it's 96, although that was modeled uh, back about 10, 12 years ago when we got the first four, uh, you know, that, that would result in, in giving, uh, in giving the top, I guess, what would it be? The top eight teams in each region, a bye. And then you, you, you have two versions of the current Thursday and Friday, right? You, you would have two days to get to that and then continue on as, as accustomed. So, you know, I think the way, I, I don't think the automatic bids will go away. I could see them all being shuttled into those earlier rounds, right? I wouldn't do that personally. I would always put an AQ, an auto qualifier into the main bracket. Uh, and I would adjust the seeds accordingly in the middle of the bracket. Uh, I suspect I'm not going to have a vote. So it really doesn't matter what I think. Uh, but I, I think the compromise will be, yeah, you can stay, but we, the big boys, get more seats at the table. And that will be that will be an accommodation to these, you know, 16, 18, 20 team leagues or whatever the heck happens. Because, you know, if there's a 2014 Big Ten or 2014 SEC someday, they're not going to be happy with only getting 11 or 12 bits, wow. right? They're going to want, you know, they're going to want three quarters of the pie. So what I, I said in an event a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, just understand that if the pie expands by eight slices, they're taking six or seven of them. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it is. One more before we let you go. Um, in all the years, that you've done this has the number of schools that have the potential to win the national championship increased or stayed the same. Do you, do you think there's any interlopers to the party? Like maybe you could consider Villanova, Virginia, 
But has that number that can win it all stayed about the same uh, in the time you've done this? I mean, I guess you can't really call either of them, right? I mean, Villanova did win the first 60-14. Exactly. And, you know, Virginia's been in the Final Four more than once right? Uh, prior to winning it all uh, before COVID. So and after Ralph Sampson. Yeah, right. I mean, I guess the the only real outlier from the old days to the new days is probably Gonzaga. Yeah. And they are a unicorn. I mean, they just y- 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 the number of schools that have tried to be the next Gonzaga and failed is probably the greatest tribute that you can give to Gonzaga. Right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, look, the sister Jean story was great. Y- you know, George Mason was great. My Hawks and Jameer Nelson 20 years ago was great. Realistically, those teams aren't winning a national championship. Like winning four games to get to the final four is extraordinary winning two more because you're not playing anybody but goliath at that point right i i i just don't know that we'll see it and and i suppose that's as good a way as any of saying maybe the number hasn't really grown at least (laughs) by more or by fewer than the fingers on one hand. Well, 68 right, is the like number of teams he, in a bracket, and, and 68 is Joe Lenardi's golf score. And uh, we, we always appreciate our, our time. And uh, you stopping by and hanging out with us for a few minutes here, Joe. Well, I only have one question then. How many holes? <laughs> well, I, I didn't say if it was <laughs> nine or 18. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm only playing nine this afternoon, so I sure as hell better beat 68. <laughs> Joe, I hope so. always a lot of fun, man. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, guys. Always fun to visit with Joe Lenardi, ESPN's bracket expert, the guy who wrote the book on uh, putting together brackets at any point in the year. And hopefully we can uh, catch up with Joe again uh, down the road as we get deeper into the season. A couple of things uh, happy and sad to talk about. On the happy side, feels good to uh, see that Dick Vitale is healthier, says his throat is healed. He's ready to call games again. So uh, excited about seeing Dickie V back on TV this college basketball season. Uh, On the uh, sad side, UCLA's basketball family lost a couple people recently. Uh, Greg Lee, who was the starting guard on their championship teams in 72 and 73 under Coach John Wooden, he was 70 years old. And Jalen Hill died at age 22. He had gone missing in Costa Rica. And I was thinking I remember that he played in the Belmont-UCLA game that we did at Pauley Pavilion back in 2018, and he did. I went and looked up the box score. He played 17 minutes, had seven rebounds. So all the best to his family, uh, Jalen Hill. But, you know, Chris, you were looking up some info on Greg Lee. Uh, he, Man, he was a key part uh, in, in distributing the basketball to the bigs on those uh, championship teams under Coach Wooden. Yeah, I remember watching the great game where Walton scored 44 and missed just one basket uh, against Memphis. It was in St. Louis for the championship. And that was back when the dunk was still outlawed. I've, I never, to this day, I can't believe they outlawed the dunk. But Greg would throw these perfectly timed lob passes and Bill would catch them and just kind of drop them into the rim. 
Uh, I didn't realize this until I looked at his obituary. He was also a, a, a professional beach volleyball player. Oh, wow. So, uh, and there was something cool about uh, when he was almost, uh, had passed, his family was by his side and his son, Ethan, played uh, a Neil Young song, Thrasher. And Greg, uh, even though he was somewhat out of it on medication, sang along. So, yeah. wow, <laughs> that's pretty poignant stuff right there. If you're going to go out, you might as well go out to Neil Young. There you go. Keep on rocking. Uh, <laughs> as long as we're talking about Southern California, Dodger Stadium was a place to be last Friday night. I know this is a basketball podcast. We, we venture over into baseball a little here and there. Yes, Albert, we do. Albert Pujols for the Cardinals hit home runs number 699 and 700 on Friday night. It was a really cool scene. Of course, Albert started his career, played many years for St. Louis, and then went out and played for quite a few years with the Angels uh, out in Anaheim, played with the Dodgers briefly, came back to the Cardinals this year, and he's been part of this uh, little tour they've done with Yadi Molina and Adam Wainwright. It's basically those three, and they're they're all set to retire after this season. The Cardinals have had a great year. They're headed to the playoffs, but what a neat scene as he joins some elite company with Barry Bonds and Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth. The uh, 700 club in, in baseball, as far as home runs, is a uh, very elite group. And Albert Pujols, you, know, you kind of wondered if he was going to hit enough to get there. He was starting to run out of games here during this regular season, but it was neat to see uh, him take the tour, as Jack Buck used to say, after hitting home run number 700. Yeah, I, I really was afraid that he might end up at 699 somehow. I was a little bummed at Albert after he left the Cardinals. I've, I've got to admit that. But I don't know that he would have gotten to some of the great achievements he's had, including 700 home runs, if he wasn't able to play DH in the American League. And, you know, uh, he played first base, and that might have been a little bit much on his body, and I don't know if he could have survived this long. So, you know, glad, glad he was able to DH in, in the NL finally came around mm -hmm. after how many years and allowed the DH. So uh, what a great player. Some people, uh, Cardinal fans, were asking whether he was the greatest all-time Cardinal or Stan Musial. And some people thought it was ridiculous to even ask that. And Stan the man would always be the guy. But I'll tell you what, Albert leaves a ton of records behind him, a ton of accomplishments. So it was really great to see that. And, you know, baseball – Honestly, it, it was everything to me as, as a kid. Once I started working professionally as a sports writer, college basketball became everything to me. And I haven't watched as much baseball, but there's no substitute for the emotions that a game of baseball and accomplishments in baseball can evoke. And that was certainly one of them when he got those two dingers in one night. Uh, good for him. And uh, hope he gets a couple more on his way out and, Maybe bags another World Series. Hey, you never know. I've I've seen the Cardinals play a couple times this season. Seen me seen him bat a time or two, and I, I've seen him play many times over the years, especially with St. Louis. I don't know that I ever saw him play with the Angels, but uh, seen him play against the Reds and hit some home runs against the Reds. There's one in particular. We were at a game in 2009, and he comes up uh, late in the game, and you know the the Red season's kind of teetering on the brink there. It, it was in July. And uh, he came up against David Weathers, who's from Loretto, Tennessee, just down the road here. Bases loaded and hit what was a soul-crushing grand slam. And I, I can I can still <laughs> see the trajectory of that ball headed toward the, the stands of left field. But 
Uh, Albert's been a great player for a long time, and it's been fun to see him back with the Cardinals. Even if you're not a Cardinal fan, it's been fun to see him back uh, in that uniform and finishing his career in this way. We'll finish our podcast in this way. There's a new Star Wars series out called Andorra. We always like to give our spoiler-filled uh, Star Wars reviews. Um, I have Absolutely. Not, I've not seen all three of the episodes. I've seen part of it. Uh, following the adventures of Cassie and Andor. And Chris, you said uh, you've been a big fan of what they've done with this so far. I have. I actually, I read a headline from Rolling Stone that said something to the fact that the first of the three were good and and the last two, the second two kind of lagged. And I say, all contraire. Hmm. I think the last half of, of the third episode was, was exciting and, and great great uh tv and it's amazing I, I guess i'm just not a very uh accomplished or sophisticated star wars fan i love all these shows that they've put out there and it's great seeing diego luna as cassian andor of course he was in rogue one with felicity jones who i absolutely love rogue one is one of my favorite star wars movies and it, you know not to give anything away i think everybody has seen that by now but you know they were the ones who stole the plans of the Death Star to give to Princess Leia and kind of mm -hmm. jump-started the, the original Star Wars uh, saga. But this is really cool. It, it It's the backstory of Cassian Andor, where he came from, what he's all about, how he got into the Resistance. And there's a really cool scene. I won't give anything away, but uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who's one of God's gifts to acting, comes in uh, late in the third episode. He's like a recruiter, right? Kind of like a college basketball recruiter at Peak Jam or something. <laughs> <laughs> and he's looking for Cassian, you know, he's, he's looking for a few good men to fight the reason to, you know, to be a part of the resistance of the evil empire and uh, what those dudes go through uh, to get out of a, a little jam. I'll just say, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, knock yourself out. It, it, it's a hoot. It's, it's great. Sounds like good stuff. I guess they use credits instead of NIO money or you know whatever. And if they're looking for plans for our show, I don't know that they'll ever find them because there there really aren't very many. No, we got no dark star in our closet. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Chris, always a lot of fun. We'll do it next time here on the podcast. Thanks, buddy. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.